Welcome to the Moving Markets podcast on Wednesday the 10th of May with me, Bernadette Anderko. On the show today, we'll get an insight into the recent sell-off in US regional banks from our bank analyst, Roger Dagan, and Dario Messi explains why our fixed income research team don't like high-yield bonds anymore. But first, Alexander Peterson from Investment Writing Team joins us to provide the highlights of what's been moving markets overnight. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Bernadette. Alex, one of the key topics for the markets at the moment is the US debt ceiling. Can you start by filling us in on the latest news there, please? Yes, of course. President Joe Biden and congressional Republicans made little tangible progress on Tuesday in averting a first ever US debt default, but promised negotiations that would open the door to a possible deal. Biden and congressional leaders, including House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, will meet again on Friday. The intensified talks could at least temporarily calm markets ahead of June 1st when Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has warned the nation's risks, exhausting its ability to meet all its payment obligations. And how have the US markets reacted to this? What can you tell us there? Markets have not reacted favorably to this. The S&P 500 was down 0.5% with outperformers in industrials, energy and consumer discretionary. The Nasdaq 100 was also down 0.7% and the 10-year US Treasury ended Tuesday at 3.5% yield. And what about the futures there? In the futures market, S&P 500 and Nasdaq 100 future contracts were both little changed. And in Europe, we've had some comments from uh, one of the European Central Bank members. What news do you have for us there? Yes, according to Executive Board member Isabel Schnabel, the European Central Bank has to do more to bring inflation back to its 2% target, even as it awaits to see the full impact of measures taken so far. After 375 basis points of interest rate hikes since last summer, Schnabel believes that smaller increases are warranted. She claims that quarter-point moves will allow borrowing costs to reach a sufficiently restrictive level. According to her, inflation and especially core inflation are still too high. And sticking in uh, Europe, there was some job news out of the UK. How's the job market doing there? Yes. So a new survey found that in the face of hiring freezes and economic uncertainty, UK businesses are increasingly relying on temporary workers. According to a report released Wednesday by KPMG and the Recruitment and Employment Confederation, permanent staff hiring fell at the fastest rate in more than two years. At the same time, businesses reported the fastest increase in billings from temporary workers since September. Job openings continue to rise, but growth is slowing. Businesses across the UK have put hiring on hold in order to deal with rising costs and a bleak economic outlook. Um, moving away from Europe, what's uh, happened in Asian markets? Overnight, Asian share indexes declined, with China's Shanghai Composite Index falling 1.4%. Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index fell 0.7% and Japan's Topics Index declined by 0.6%. Okay, so leaving the equity markets aside and, and looking at other asset classes, what news do you have for us there? Over in currencies, the Bloomberg Dollar Spot Index was a little changed and the euro is trading up above $1.09. In the digital asset world, Bitcoin is trading around 27,700 US dollars. And in commodities, West Texas Intermediate fell 0.8%, trading around $73 a barrel. Gold is trading at around $2,031 an ounce. Great. So, uh, what can we expect for the rest of the week? The US is scheduled to release its CPI data today, and tomorrow they will provide additional details on its PPI and initial job claims data. The Bank of England is scheduled to decide on interest rates tomorrow, in addition to releasing industrial production and GDP data. Finally, China will also be releasing PPI and CPI data tomorrow. 
And that's all for today's Markets Wrap-Up. Back to you, Bernadette. Thanks so much for the update, Alex. Now we turn to our research experts, and we're starting with Dario Messi from Fixed Income Research. Good morning to you, Dario. Good morning, Bernadette. Last month, we discussed your downgrade of the US high-yield market. Earlier this week, you've also added the European high-yield market to your least preferred list. Is that right? Uh, Yeah, exactly. We also downgraded now the Euro high-yield market to underweight uh, as well. Um, The main reasoning behind it is very similar as with the the US counterparts. So we have these credit dynamics in developed markets that are weakening fast. Uh, And this normally also means that uh, a more cautious stance on credit risk overall is really the better choice. Uh, Last week, we, we also had, for example, the quarterly bank lending survey from the ECB. And uh, this is uh, one also clearly that shows how these credit standards for bank loans are tightening very fast. And, and more than that, also loan demand is collapsing. And I mean, the ECB acknowledges this kind of credit uh, growth dynamics. Uh, but at the same time, we heard it before from Alex, um, there are still some, some council members that really want to see inflation figures that are more backward looking by definition, to see them really coming down uh, first before they stop with this hiking cycle. Um, then on top of this, uh, this ongoing banking stress, even if it's focused specifically on the US uh, regional banks at this point at least, uh, uh, Roche will talk about this later on uh, in more details, but ultimately also this developments there, it's really a disadvantage for companies with weaker corporate balance sheets globally, not just for the US. Um, they simply find it even harder now to refinance maturing debt. Banks are uh, more cautious overall in such an environment. And well, with that, the default rates are still likely to rise from here. And if we just look from a valuation perspective, we don't see that these credit spreads at these levels where they are now really discount a more adverse scenario. So basically, we decided to continue with our strategy of de-risking credit portfolios and have now, as you said, not just the US, but also the euro high yield uh, market on, on the weight. Okay, so you, you mentioned it there. You waited a little while to downgrade the European market to underweight. Um, I mean, is there a reason to differentiate between the US and European high yield segments? Uh, yeah, that there is a, a difference between these two segments. Sure, both are part of the riskier uh, spectrum and, and have some common features in, in performance overall, um, or at least the performance drivers. But on average, you have uh, more weight on better rated companies in Europe. Uh, So basically, you have a slight quality tilt there compared to the US. And that's also the reason why we went ahead with the US counterpart first in downgrading it to underweight last month and only now with the Euro counterpart. Now, talking about the US, maybe just by the way, also there we have this loan officer survey that uh, was published earlier this week, uh, kind of the, the counterpart. Uh, to the bank lending survey we talked about before from the ECB. And this one also really shows how banks are tightening their credit standards also over there. Um, now, a bit back to the difference between the European and the US high market. One additional aspect here uh, that is also uh, quite important is certainly the sector decomposition. So in the US, you have much more exposure uh, to oil and gas companies. Here in Europe, on the other side, uh, the index contains a lot of bonds from weaker uh, capitalized banks. Okay, and if I can just ask you one more question. Um, if I remember correctly, the only riskier segment, as it were, in the bond markets that you still like is emerging market hard currency debt. Is that right? 
Yes, that's uh, absolutely right. We we dis- discussed this segment a lot in the team. Um, as you mentioned, it's also part of the riskier segments. Now, we have the China reopening topic. Uh, it's certainly still uh, supportive. It lost some momentum, but it's still supportive overall, uh, or at least on balance. Then the US dollar is also still helping at this point. Um, and also our colleagues in Asia pointed out how uh, steady the Asian high-grade space is at the moment, and they don't feel much of spillover from the banking stress in the US so far. So, as I said, we decided to keep the segment on all weight, um, basically allocating our risk budget now in full uh, to this uh, segment. Uh, But again, also here, a quality tilt within the segment is probably still the more prudent way uh, to go at this point. Okay, I think we've got it. The quality message there, Dario. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, turning to a hot topic of late, US regional banks have been hitting the headlines for all the wrong reasons since the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. I'm delighted to be joined by our bank analyst, Roger Dagan, this morning. Good morning, Roger. Good morning, Bernadette. Um, So some of the regional banks in the US have seen their share price drop by a third, I think, last week. Perhaps you could give us some insight into this high volatility and, and provide us with a better understanding of why this is happening. Yeah, sure, Bernadette. But basically, last week uh, started with good news when JP Morgan announced on the 1st May that they would buy the First Republic Bank from receivership. Most thought, including myself, that the who is next discussion in terms of what regional bank could fail next would stop, as all larger regional banks with a high level of uninsured deposits we're here with either set into receivership, which includes uh, SVB Financial or Signature Bank, or were sold, which includes uh, First Republic Bank. But then on the very same day, uh, the FDIC came out saying that it uh, recommended that Congress raise the $250,000 insurance limit for business deposits on a targeted basis. This would uh, basically be a good thing because it would uh, further increase the percentage of uh, bank deposits insured. However, the market interpretation, at least on this day or on the next days, was uh, negative in the sense that the fact that the FDIC openly acknowledged with such an insurance extension proposal that the system appears to be uh, still uh, pretty fragile and therefore still sees a necessity to calm down depositors and markets. So what was the market response to this? Yeah, share prices of some of the more vulnerable uh, regional banks lost more than 30% in the week up until Friday. And in fact, all of them had some uh, special reasons to do so. Looking in detail at the listed US regional banks, those that lost most in value over the week all have a balance sheet size of below 100 billion US dollars. So this should be not too difficult for the Fed to tackle with some money from an extra backstop facility. And uh, we are talking here of uh, less than six banks with, with weaknesses. What then happens in the meantime? Well, in the meantime, until this is done, there is a certain risk of a negative feedback loop from the sharply declining share prices but that in turn could uh, cause renewed deposit withdrawals at those banks. It is also worth highlighting 
on the other side that the results of the large US regional banks all reported reasonably good Q1 results with uh, limited deposit outflows between no outflows to maybe down minus 4% in Q1. And the largest uh, deposit outflows were mainly concentrated in the week after the SVB downfall uh, with only marginal outflows after that. It is also worthwhile to understand that the incremental wholesale funding needs from the Federal Home Loan Bank, which are used by the regional banks to replace outflowing deposits, moved up around 20% or 220 billion US dollars in the week after the SVB downfall. But since then, they moved also sideways. So also here, this indirectly indicates uh, uh, kind of stabilized deposits since then. To be clear, the outlook for regional banks remains anyway further weakened as uh, funding costs for regional banks will certainly rise stronger than still expected before the SVB downfall. And the earnings outlook remains therefore under pressure. So if I understand you right there, Roger, we're expecting more weakness to come in the US regional banks. Well, we see about five smaller regional banks that look more vulnerable and could cause some near-term volatility, but ultimately they should be rescued or or be bought by other players as their size is comparably small, as said, below 100 billion uh, balance sheet size. Ultimately, the Fed will also tighten liquidity and capital standards for smaller banks or for the regional banks. But this will be done in some years from here in a phased-in process. But obviously, will also reduce the longer-term RE potential for these uh, regional banks. Well, thank you for bringing us up to speed there, Roger. Um, that's all we've got time for. So this concludes today's podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Please tune in again tomorrow when Helen Freer will be back to guide you through what's moving markets with our experts. Good luck today and goodbye for now. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information. Wealth Insights is a podcast series where Julius Bear experts discuss topics from a wealth management perspective, whether it's starting a business, preparing for retirement, or transferring wealth to the next generation, our experts provide answers to the relevant questions. Available now on all good platforms, search for Wealth Insights on your favourite podcast player.